I don't get any royalties from the book Atomic Habits but by James Clear, but it is a phenomenal book about setting yourself up for success when it comes to healthy oh, yes. habits and time management. So I really like one of his quotes in there that okay. I mentioned in the Grand Rounds, but it was that you that we don't rise to the level of our habits, but we fall to the level of our systems. Oh, I love it. And I just love to talk about that because I think we are creatures of habit. Yes. And so if we don't create a system that fosters that habit, we won't we won't develop a healthy habit and we don't we won't get rid of unhealthy habits. And there doesn't he talk about like like don't set the goal as ex- running, you know, 10 miles a day but yes. put on exercise clothes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and that's exactly Just I put know them people on. who've done that. They go to bed in their exercise clothes. I set mine out the night before. Uh-huh, nice. Where I literally get up in the dark and put them on. And it doesn't matter. I I had this quote that I put on my wall when I first started running which was if you're tired, run tired. Because we say, I'm so tired. Uh So what? Run tired. Work out tired. That's so great. I love it. Yeah. I'm Holly Wayment, and this is Pediatrics Now, cases, updates, and discussions for the busy pediatric practitioner. Click on the link in this podcast for free credit that may include CME, MOC, or ethics credit, depending on the topic or podcast. Today on Pediatrics Now... We're talking about prescribing balance, time management strategies for the new year. And I'm thrilled today because here in the podcast studio, Dr. Dina Tom is joining me. Thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Tom. Thank you. So you attended med school and residency here at the University of Texas Health Science Center. Yes. And and you received the Lozano Long Presidential Scholarship. That's a big deal. Yes, it was a very big deal. Tell me about that. So it was a scholarship that Joe and Teresa Lozano Long provided for medical students, and now it expands to lots of different types of of students that covers the full four years of medical school, um, all of tuition and fees. And it's it was given to to certain people who were first generation physicians who had a dedication to practice primary care in Central and South Texas, and I was. Very blessed to get it. And did that, what did that do for your career? Was that just like, okay, I know I'm meant to do this? Or did absolutely. you already probably already knew you were meant to do it? But <laughs> No, absolutely. It ab- it definitely lit even more of a fire, but it gave me this purpose anytime I felt like I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't working hard enough, that I couldn't make it through because medical school and residency are obviously difficult. But it it definitely gave me this push to live up to their expectation of me, which was lovely. And I get to see Mr. Long and Teresa Long. She passed away a couple years ago, but Mr. Long is still doing all of his philanthropic work. He lives in Austin and he, he's still very much involved in in uh, doing these scholarships. That's amazing. And you teach med students and residents in part of your role here at yes. the medical school. Yes. And then you're also a wife, busy mother. And you round seeing patients in the hospital? Yep, that's correct. As a hospitalist? Yes. And I have a parent, I can talk a little bit about that later, but with time management, but I, I have my parents live close by, my in-laws live close by, and I have a parent with Parkinson's disease who lives close by. So all of these things, all these identity, all of these identities, they really make up kind of who I am and, and also my time. Thanks for mentioning that. And yes, let's talk about that. 
So I listened to your Grand Rounds talk, and I thought it was so fascinating. Thank you for for bringing these issues to the forefront. And um, I also, I know in the talk, you talked about how you're, you confessed you have an obsession with office supplies, a secret obsession, yes. <laughs> which I do too. <laughs> yes, I do. Ever since I was young, it was very much, a, I'd go find my, like the closet in any of the offices my parents worked out and, and just go through like staplers and highlighters. <laughs> it's my favorite. Yeah. My dad, um, he's retired now, but he was a professor at, at UTSA, started the math department there. And I loved going and writing on the marker board when I was yep. little and yeah. the scent of the markers and all that. <laughs> so you started out Grand Rounds Talk and perhaps we could start this out today by talking about like, as a doctor, our listeners know there's this reputation or expectation that you're always working, you're always on call. It's kind of expected. I mean, who can live up to that? That's a lot of pressure. Yes. And I, I really think that that is historical because that is just the way that our, you know, as physicians, that our practice has always been defined for hundreds of years is that we are at the bedside, that we are are called in emergencies, that we are on call all the time. And even laws as in the early 1930s that protected employees really didn't apply to doctors. So and it's an unsaid, unwritten curriculum also in medical school and residency, this expectation that a good doctor is an available doctor, right? So we want to be available. And you've taken this oath. Yes, <laughs> taken this oath. Lots of pressure and lots of burnout. So that's, it's so important. These strategies that we're going to talk about can really help and prevent burnout. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I, I think that being able to feel like you're in control of a part of your life or, or at least kind of how you structure your life is really important for everyone, but especially for physicians who just statistically have less of their own time. When I worked as a, a broadcast journalist and at KSAT 12 here locally, I loved the job, but there's your, you have no control over your time. You're constantly following the story. You're constantly on time. I mean, having to follow the story and you could be called in at any time, middle of the night, whatever. And it seems like you can only keep that schedule for so long. Yeah, that's correct. And and I think that happens in phases of our career as physicians. We know as medical students the times that we are going to be out of control. You know, our our time won't be our own. So your third year and and part of your fourth year as a medical student, you know that your your time is set by the rotation you're on. You're told when you eat. You're told when you can go to the bathroom. And same as residents, you don't have much control over your time because you're you're working all the time. And then we we come out of that and we're expected to know how to control our time. And it's oftentimes really just easier when other people tell us how we will use our time until we come out of the water and we realize when we're drowning that we have to do better. We have to figure out a way out and we don't know. So that's my attempt at, at helping people from my own experiences come out of that drowning feeling and taking control over part of your life. I love that. And I, I know you teach workshops here at the University of Texas Health Science Center. And there's good news. There, you say there's no single standard for work-life balance. And in fact, we have more time than our grandparents. Yes. Yes. I love that. I heard that in a podcast or no, not a podcast, a TED talk. And I loved the idea of that because it's so true. We say all the time that we don't have time. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. But I just imagine I thinking about what our great, our grandparents, our great grandparents, how much time it took them to, to get 
ready to to make food to prepare the house for winter, right? Like Mm -hmm. everything they did took time and they didn't have many options to control their time. You can't order on the internet something to come maybe in an hour. (laughs) Deliver our groceries. Like, no, I mean, that was, I'm sure there was maybe some wealthy person who could get someone to do that for him, but, but largely no. And we have a lot more at our fingertips now, but I think that that provides so much distraction also. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. So it could be cutting into our time because of all of the distraction. So what is, you know, and our our listeners probably are working long hours as as doctors. What would you say is the number one? I know you were talking about even if you work 50 or 60 hours a week, there's still you still have a lot of time when you're not sleeping. If even if you sleep 8 hours, hopefully you sleep 8 yes. hours a night at least. Yes. So kind of rough calculation, you have over 160 hours a week. If you sleep eight hours a day and you work on average, a physician works about 51 hours a week. Even if you work more than that, you still are left with about 60 hours, maybe 55 to 60 hours a week. And that's where you're not sleeping and you're not working. So it's that's the time. That's the time you have to to do all the things that you need to do but and love to do and want to do so it's a shame to spend any of that doing things that distract us from from all the things we love and you teach in your workshop it's it comes down to picking is it one word or one goal yeah you know my husband i have to give him credit cuz he's been doing this for years and i loved i love the idea of new year's resolutions but he likes the idea of a word a year and and then of uh, in reading preparing for my talks and I really love the idea of having a theme word for the year or a value-based word for your year because everybody has different goals every year, or at least I do. And I imagine sometimes we get to the end of the year and realize I really didn't take good care of myself this year, or I really wish I could have spent more time with my family, or I really wanted to get ahead at work this year. And I just, there was a lot of things that came up. So I think it's a nice practice and to allow ourselves to have this anchor word that we think about last year or what we want for ourselves this year. If I could look back on 2024 in December and say, I really felt like I worked hard to for my values this year. And that's where I think everybody's word's going to be different. My daughter said her word this year is simplify. Mm. Which I loved because she told me she thinks, she's 10, by the way, (laughs) she thinks that she overthinks some things and maybe gets worked up about some things and that her goal word for the year is to remember that she wants to keep things simple and take deep breaths. And I just love that that's her word. And so a reminder of that word when she's feeling overwhelmed. And Dina, so are you saying so... Then whatever we do or when we're trying to decide to say yes or no to something. So in your daughter's case, is this, is, is she, do you encourage her to think, how do I keep this simple? Or is this helping me to, or helping me not to simplify? I think both. I think it's when you're trying to make decisions on whether or not to take on a project or let something go, or someone asks you to do something, or you get, you're distracted by something, or you're let's say you're looking at the value of something in your life. Like maybe you do something that you're like, I really hate this. I don't want to do it anymore. Does it fit? Ask yourself, does this fit with my word? Does this fit with my value word for the year, my theme word for the year? And if not, then 
maybe that's a pretty good sign that we need to figure out a way to to take some of that off your plate or transition it into something you do love. Yeah. Okay. So your daughter's word is simplify. And my word, my word is commit. And I really struggled because I was trying to, I, I, I ruminated on this for several days and I went back and forth, but I think that I have in my grand rounds, I talk about how I have I love to procrastinate when I'm in it and I'm procrastinating it feels so good and then later yeah, I when too. I hate that I have procrastinated <laughs> right part of the creative process though yeah a little bit but maybe we totally or we're just justifying that. it <laughs> totally but I think that for me and part of that procrastinating I find that sometimes I get to a point in a project or in a goal, I have a lot of energy about the beginning of it. And I want to, I have all these ideas and I start it and I just kind of peter out and I, like it falls to the wayside. And, you know, I, something I really thought I was going to do, I, I don't end up finishing. And, and it tends to be more with my work, but I, that's why I commit this year is I really want to remind myself that I have these, these goals professional and personal, and not to give up, not to stop when it feels like it's getting tough or I have uncertainty that I go back and, and try to remember that energy that I had at the beginning of the year. So maybe if you've, you, can you give us an example, say mm-hmm. if there's a meeting you were going to go to or something, just a, an example in your yeah. personal life? Yeah. So so professionally, there's I've had a few projects over the last two years since COVID really. And I think I'm going to blame COVID, of course. Like, yeah, we can blame po- we, COVID We again. procrastinated all through COVID. But I had several projects that came out of COVID, lots of really good ideas that I, you know, began that collaborative process with other people and said, yeah, let's do this. I really loved the, the idea of creating this curriculum. Or, and then there was another where I was going to write an article in a journal. And I, you know, started the process, contacted people, got got connected to people. And then you know, something else comes up in my life and I'm like, yeah, I just, I can't really do that. Or I don't have the time or I don't really know what I'm doing. So I'm just not going to push and in, into that discom- discomfort. And I, and then I look back and I'm like, well, now I look and I say, well, I never did that project that I had, that everybody was excited about. And I never wrote that paper that was going to help my career and was going to, you know, get me back in public, you know, doing some literature and and publishing some papers. And I don't like that feeling. And so I have to stop doing that because I don't want to keep looking back thinking, oh, it's been another year that I haven't done X or Y. And that's so your word being commit, it can apply to whether it's something wanting to write a new book or be there more for your kids or your husband. Yeah. It all comes down to that word. Yes. And, And I think personally, as physicians, we have a bad habit and I'll say collectively, and some people may be really good at it, but I think we have a bad habit also of prioritizing our jobs over our families because our families are always there. And so it's, and it takes some introspection to, and maybe a spouse who's willing to be a, a kind mirror to you to realize that you, all, you know, when I tell my husband, I'm leaving the office, I'm leaving work, I'm going to be home in 30 minutes. And then I get caught up in a patient pulls me aside or a nurse and right there's certain things we can't control but that's also part of my word to commit is being is really being honest with myself about the and my family about the time that's theirs like this is y'all's time i'm gonna put my phone down i'm gonna i'm going to be home when i say i am and if i'm not i'm going to make sure that you're aware of that or that i've delegated it to someone else but 
I think that's also part of that commit to my family and commit to my work. It kind of translates both ways. Our listeners may be thinking like, well, how do I, you know, now that's another thing I'm stressing about. How do I find a, the right word? Is there, <laughs> do you have, yeah. do you have a link or something we can put into here or a, something you can tell us about how to Yeah, I'm happy. I mean, I ha- I just use in my workshop, I just use um, a list of values that you can, I honestly, I created it by Googling just a list of values. Brene Brown has some excellent, it has an excellent book about value-based leadership. And so she has link something on her website and then I created a list, but you could Google just generally values, a list of values. And if you send it to me, I'll put it in the podcast. Okay, so. great. Yeah, yep. I'm happy to do that. But I, I tell pe- people to start with that. Look at the list and it's anywhere between 50 and 100 lists, like values, anywhere from friendship, loyalty, dignity, all these different ones. And to pick, to try to pick, start with 20 then take those 20 and narrow it down to 10, and then take those 10 and narrow it down to five, and then take those five and narrow it to three, and then three to one. It's very difficult to get down to one. And remind yourself, you can do the practice of what are your values if you want to know what they are. I think it's valuable. No pun intended. (laughs) But I also think in terms of thinking about what you want this year to be, what do you want this year to, to focus on, to anchor on? And say, you know, go through those values that you want to be important to you and try to get it down to one. That's wonderful. So is it really true that that most physicians, 70 percent of their time is spent not seeing patients? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. At the at work, that's based on a study of eighty seven hundred physicians a few years ago. So it was pre-COVID. But they reported that the, in the time when they look at their time throughout the day, and that is mostly spent on administrative tasks. So note writing, billing, answering, doing pre-authorizations for insurance companies, returning phone calls, dealing with pharmacies, and a lot of kind of bureaucratic stuff that doctor we did not go, physicians, we did not go into medicine to do those things. And it really can chip away at our our love for doing medicine when 70% of our day is spent doing that. And lead to burnout, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, so, okay, so we we've, say we've picked our word. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? Yeah. So I think you pick your word, you know your values, you know where that you have that anchor word. And then I really like the the practice of going through your time wasters and and those things that make up your time. Because if you don't know how you spend your time, you can't use it. So you remember we kind of going back to that, you have 55 to 60 hours, 50 to 60 hours, somewhere in there a week that's yours. You have to figure out how to do all of the things you need to do for outside of work and all the things you want and love to do. So if you're looking at your time, if you're actually being honest about the amount of time you spend on social media, the amount of time you spend running around doing things for everybody else without any kind of joy in that, then, and you don't know, if you don't know about it, if you have no idea that, oh my gosh, I just spent eight hours of my week on social media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Didn't, yeah. That's and in a day, a work day. Yes. And do, a, in your, does research show it was two hours that a lot of doctors yeah. per day spend Yeah, outside on. of work. So we work on average 50 hours a week. A quarter work over 60 hours a week. But then we spend over two hours a day on social media. Wow. 
Well, and I took a break from social media a year and a half ago. I have not gone back. I think that's why I had time to help create this podcast. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's amazing what we can do if we give exactly. it, give something up like that. But it can be hard. Exactly. And I think we have to be really honest with ourselves about where we use our time. So I think there's different methods to do it. You can time track. You can use apps. You can write it down. But you need to know what you're spending your time on and then what you would use that time for. It's kind of almost, it's like someone who wants to lose weight, like documenting truly how much are you eating, Yeah, right? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, cheating and writing down that you only ate half a cookie (laughs) when you ate four cookies (laughs) is really the only person that's going to suffer is you, right? you you know? So it's very true. And so I I just really encourage, that's what I did. It's hard to do because you have to really look at it and then swallow that pill and say, okay, how do I now change those habits that I have that I've developed? And that's where I was talking to you earlier about, I think, habit changing. The book Atomic Habits by James Clear is fabulous for that because it really gives you tools to use. Like if I really want to develop a habit of working out, I don't, I never work out. And how am I going to start doing it and love doing it? Because that seems like climbing Mount Everest. He is real, does a great job of, of talking about our systems. And here on Pediatrics Now, as our listeners know, I, we love quotes. Mm-hmm. I love quotes. I'm obsessed with <laughs> quotes, too. So you have a quote from that author? Yes, yes. So James Clear says in his book that we don't rise to the level of our habits. We fall to the level of our systems. And mm-hmm. he says something that I think is probably offensive to a lot of people, but he says that goals are at odds with habits and long-term happiness. Hmm. And that's odd because we're always, I mean, we're taught to have a goal, right? But the problem with having a goal is that the goal is only good when you win in that goal, when you succeed in that goal for that one moment. And then literally the next moment, unless you have a next goal, then you don't have anywhere to go from there. So that I, you know, he he talks about how you don't want to be you don't want to run a marathon. You want to be a runner. Hmm. You don't want to be on time to work. You want to be a person who's prompt. Mm-hmm. And it really is about seeing yourself in a different light. Like, I don't want to be a busy mom. I don't want my kids to see me as a busy mom because that's just like, oh, mom's busy. Mm-hmm. Well, how horrible is that? Right. Right. Like, I want my kids to see that I'm, you know, I'm a helpful mom, and that I'm a present mom. And a listening I'm mom. A listening mom, a funny mom. I don't want to be a busy mom. So how do you do that? Yeah. So I think you have to make some really difficult changes up front. So there's several tactics, several books on this, but they say that it's not that it's that changing is is actually simple, but it's it is still difficult. Okay, it's not a complex process. It, it involves making changes like literally silence your phone and put it in another room and do not touch that. And tell yourself that you're going to give yourself a certain amount of time before you check your phone or before you call a friend or before you text someone. Those things that allow distractions to come in and prevent you from uh, from being busy or distracted. And then and then really putting those things on your calendar. I talk a lot about that in my in my talks or in my workshops too is that if we don't put our family, ourselves, our quality time, if we don't put that on the cal- on our calendar like an appointment, then we won't honor it. We won't see it as valuable as the things that are on our calendar. 
What about for the practitioner who has 17 more patients to see? It's one (laughs) o'clock. So any advice there? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great question. (laughs) It's a very (laughs) difficult question because I have several friends who work in environments like that. And so literature says that when our when our paycheck is tied to our billing, that we as physicians are unhappy, we're less productive, and we burn out. So we know that that model, while it may work for the company we work for, our employers, it really has a, I mean, it puts a time stamp on on us as physicians. Like there's, there's a, only a certain amount of time in which we're going to be able to, to live like that. In terms of so I think that you have to look at the bigger picture of does does my employer's values match my values? And is this a temporary thing or is this something that's goes on in perpetuity? And then how long can I live working like this? Aside from that, in terms of day-to-day practice of becoming more efficient at your job, that's a more difficult question because it, it really revolves around the system that you're in and, and how much you can control that system. Because you know, I have friends who they meet their patient quotas and everybody celebrates and they get a bonus and then their quotas are increased for the next year. Mm. And it's just demoralizing. It's yeah. like, OK, that was super great. But how? How? Where am I going to find this time? Yeah. So there's so much to cover in the exam room. And just where I think if you thrive on it, if you love it, if that's something that you do your best work when you are when you have that pressure, great. That's great. If you aren't, though, and it's eating away at you, I think you have to decide whether or not your time and happiness is more important than the money you're making and whether they have to make some changes and, and decrease your hours or go to a different company. And, and that is a big difference between generations, too, because I think that younger generations, we know that like millennials and Gen Zs, they really don't have as much of a problem recognizing toxic work environments that that really impede on their balance and they're more likely to make that career change whereas we know that gen x and and baby boomers really are more likely to stay in environments work environments where they kind of put their head down and grind the day away and then end up being kind of miserable <laughs> which mm-hmm. is a, so we have something that we could learn from each other mm-hmm. um, from the that, different generations right yeah and and you say that the time is more valuable than money yes yeah also something else i you know heard in a ted talk or a podcast or in a book i i, I really love this topic but yeah cuz time is limited we don't have that much of it and we can't get it back once we've lost it Money is, you know, when you don't have it, then it's very valuable, right? And and that's the thing. When we're young and we are in college or, you know, we have all the time in the world. We don't have any money, so we have to do everything ourselves. But then, especially as physicians, we can forget that we now have the means. It may not be comfortable. Like, it may be more expensive, more of an expense that we want than we want. But but you have to look at the trade-off. So I know how much that I that we invest, because I'm going to call it an investment, in our housekeeper, who I adore, who's like part of our family. And we, you know, like to take care. I mean, I feel like we take care of each other. I try very hard to to be that kind of employer. But 
we talk about all the time how she is an investment in our family and in our marriage because it's not just the simple act of what she does, but it's also the time that she's that she gives us back and the peace of mind that I don't have to worry about certain things because I know that I can make it through another day or two before she comes and helps us. And it's, she's also a great person to blame things on when I lose my key, when my, when my husband can't find something, we just blame it. <laughs> and so we don't fight about it. But <laughs> but anyway, I think that we have to start looking at it a little bit differently. When I look in total of how much that we spend, I'm like, oh gosh, imagine what we could do with that. But then I know what I what we get from it. That time is such so much more available. And we have less time than we like to think of during different phases of our lives. So we don't actually have that much time with our children in the house. We don't have that much time when our children are young or when they, you know, before they leave for college. We don't have that much time with our parents before they get older or get sick or they pass away. We don't have that much time where we're healthy and we can climb a mountain. So we like to think of our life like we have our whole life. Not actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be a doomsday, but I think we have to recognize that our time is very, very precious. And that could help inspire us to go climb the mountain when <laughs> we might not feel like it. Yes. You know, and we always feel better after you go on the hike or yes. run or yes. walk in the sunshine yes. or the rain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there's this thought process I love too of changing our mindset about saying, I I get to, I get to go to my kids' basketball game. I get to go exercise this morning. I get to do you know i get to go to the dmv today <laughs> uh, yeah i, I know that might be that. a hard one it might be hard i was I, there last I, month i was waiting for an hour and a half but yeah you're right like to yeah to be there with your teenager wait i get to be yes. here and be here with her when she's about to get her driver's license how yeah. amazing is that it's amazing like yeah would you rather spend it having you know having lunch at a nice restaurant sure <laughs> but you get really lots of other things <laughs> i know what we have just a few minutes left. What advice, anything else you want to say, Dina, to the practitioner, and then maybe we'll just a line or two to the parents? Yeah. So I think that if we aren't intentional about our time and we don't know how we're using it, so that way we can prioritize the things that are important, other people will schedule our time for us. And sometimes that's easier because we don't have to be thoughtful about it and intentional. And it's not as painful to look at our lives and say, I spend eight hours a week on social media. I could spend that on myself or my kids or my, you know, whatever else we want to spend it on. But I think that if we really took a look at our time and we were intentional about it, it means that we have to do some things like say no to people. And that's hard. Yes. It's hard, especially for physicians who go into practice because we're caregivers. So we're naturally caregivers. It's what we want to do. We want to help people. So when someone says, can you help me? I need help. And then we say, actually, no, I can't. Because if I help you, then I can't do these other things. And that's really hard. So we have to kind of reframe how we see it because we're used to being the most important way that we or a person who can help and and it doesn't always mean it needs to be us so what in that case are you saying but here is someone who could and give yeah. that person that person's yeah, name exactly and, and, and and you really just take a moment to find out like am i really the person that need that you need and sometimes you may be and then you decide how you want to tackle that or you say 
I can't, but here's someone who can, or why don't I connect you with this other person? Or I can't do it now, but I should have more time in about four months when this stuff ends, right? And so it's really just being intentional about not allowing things to just pile up on your plate because you didn't want to say no, or you overestimated your time, and then you end up feeling burnout in the end. And do you think about with your family, when you're thinking of, we really don't have that much time with each other, does that help you to stay in the present moment, to listen? How how does it help you? Yeah, no, exactly. I think that is how it helps me. And I come home and my kids want to show me something. And I I sometimes hear the inner voice that is like, I have other things I need to do. And just really putting, pushing that voice aside and saying, Give this little person all of your love and attention. Like it's the most important thing in the whole world for the next 15 minutes. I have 15 minutes and that makes such a big difference. But that's difficult, but we can do it. I know we can do it. And I and I've made some of those system changes that I talked about in my grand rounds, but about like becoming a morning person. I was never a morning person. I hated the mornings, but I just started this habit of making through, you know, lots of book reading setting out my clothes the night before to go exercise, meeting up with a friend to do it, and really just told myself, all I got to do is just show up. I just have to show up. And once I do it enough times, it will become something I actually love doing. And now if I don't do it, it's become such a habit that if I don't do it, I feel uncomfortable not doing it, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. I do too. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And And so you do that early in the morning? I do that. Yes. I set my clothes out the night before to work out. I sign up for my workout class the night before. And if I don't go, I get, I have to pay a fee, which I hate. That's like, I want to, I don't even want to pay a dollar. And then I I text my friend, we go on this, we go together and we go to the 6am workout class. And that helps, but does that help motivate you? Cause you're like, I'm not paying that fee. Absolutely. So (laughs) the clothes are out. So they're sitting I've got my friend depending on me. And I could get a fee. Well, and my clothes are setting out. So if I don't go, I have like a walk of shame into my closet where I see my clothes that were never put on. Right. And I'm like, yep, I didn't go to the gym. And I told myself I would. And I feel I don't like that discomfort. I'd rather go even just tired and beat up and show up. And it does make the day so much better. If anything, I feel like I have one done one thing today that was... That, that was good for me. It was good for my quality of life, something I could control. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Tom. Yeah. So I think for parents, being a busy parent, I think that the it goes back obviously to being intentional, but I think it's can it can get a little bit messy when we're distracted by all of the things that we have going on in our lives, all the busyness, the doing the dishes, the making the dinners, the getting responding to text messages that our kids are running in and out of the room. And so have have a create a habit that's just you and the kids. Put your phone away, do something, whether that's reading at night, sitting at the table for dinner, sitting on the countertop when you're making dinner so you could talk about the day. But those things are really important for both you and your children or your family. And even if it's just 15 minutes, put the phone away. That's kind of my advice to to make that more intentional and give that personal attention. In a way and teaching to not be so, di- to try not to be so distracted. Exactly. Yeah. Just set a timer, 15 minutes. And when it goes off, then you can let go of the guilt. You've done it. And it does get easier. It just takes practice. Start with five minutes, go to 10, 15. It takes practice because our it's a habit we've created. 
And then try to do it as long as you can. Yeah, sure. <laughs> if you know that you have three hours at night, try and build it up to two. But and and then remember, the goal is really it's the goal is to have the, to be intentional. It's not to fill all your time with everybody else because you still have to get all the things you uh, you have to get you in there somewhere. You have to get the dishes in there somewhere, right? You got to get everything in there. So it's it's not to spend all your time dedicated to someone else or or your, just your family or whatever, but it's just to know what you're spending your time on. And for the doctors taking care of yourself, that helps you to take care of other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Dina Tom, hospitalist and time management expert at the University of Texas Health Science Center. Thank you so much for being here today on Pediatrics Now. Thank you for having me. Good luck. And here's something you may be interested as the busy practitioner. We have something new called Pediatrics Now, health news in small bites for the busy parent. In Pediatrics Now for Parents, our new podcast, we cover the same topics that you listen to here, but our experts speak directly to the patients. So it's one last thing you have to talk about in the exam room. We hope it helps take something off your plate. You'll find in the Pediatrics Now for Parents feed topics like why you should consider getting your child vaccinated, work-life balance, what to do about the ADHD medication shortage, or warning signs for ADHD. Don't forget to click on the link in this podcast for ethics credit. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate all of you. I'm Holly Wayment, and this is Pediatrics Now.